Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? So having those very clear boundaries, I think, is, is super important to, like, create the container that you're entering and be able to exit that container versus like where that container end and not end. Hi, welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on this episode, we're going to be talking with the multifaceted, electric, queen of kink, Madison Young. Madison is a sex educator, a feminist porn icon, an author, and the producer and star of a new show on Reverie TV, Submission Possible. We're excited to speak with Madison today about her journey in the world of kink, her call to action for feminist sexual revolution, and her new docuseries on Reverie. Hi, Madison. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for chatting with us today. Nice to see you again. Our paths have crossed a few times before and and it's always a delight. So I got to know you through your work in uh, kink, um, kink porn online um, as I was trying to figure things out for myself. Of course, due to not many resources out there, porn was my first port of call. And that's kind of where I met you. Uh, and would that be a good start, a good place to start our conversation? Sure. Yeah. What was the journey that led you there? Let's see. You know, I I always knew from a very young age that I wanted to be an artist and that I wanted to hold space to curate stories and artwork um, and films of our stories, of queer stories. I wanted to see myself out in the world because I grew up in Southern Ohio in a very conservative area And on TV, on film, around me, I did not see myself reflected. And I felt a lot of shame. I felt a lot of shame for being queer and for having kinky desires. So as soon as possible, I moved out to San Francisco. And at the age of 20, I started a feminist art gallery called Feminipotence, um, which promoted women and transgender artists. And so I was the curator and founder, and we curated brilliant visual art and uh, screenings and, and poetry readings and performance art. But it was a nonprofit, and, <laughs> and I was 20, and um, I was still writing and making art myself as well, but nothing that I was doing was really generating the kind of money I needed to keep a, a storefront gallery performance space open. So at the time, a lot of young artists, young queer artists around my age were also engaged in um, different kinds of sex work. So they'd do sex work to help support them being a writer or an artist. And um, I was like, that's a great idea. (laughs) So I started to look on uh, Craigslist erotic section and do things like sell my dirty panties and other 
little things that I would, I would pick up, um, including some modeling gigs, which was interesting because I, I never really, I didn't feel like I looked like a model <laughs> at all. I was very punk. I had a lot of piercings. I had, and I cut my own hair. Like I would close my eyes and cut my hair very punk. Like it was very anti-beauty. So I found bondage modeling and I really loved it because it, it felt like this is not about beauty. You know, like I don't look like Betty Page and I know that, but, um, but I'm tough as fuck, you know? And I really love that bondage modeling was like about being tough and it felt like performance art, you know? And that was my background was like theater and performance art. I was like, our body is a material. It's this vessel. And we're able to like mold it and take in this energy and exhale this energy and, and transform it. And all of that made a lot of sense to me. So I, I really dug doing bondage modeling. And so I did that for about five years exclusively, just doing bondage modeling and, and touring around the world to help support the gallery. I'd be on the road for a week and then working at the gallery the rest of the month is supporting the gallery. Cool. And then how that then did you, did you find as you were doing that it was something that spoke to you and then you were, you know, that it led you to film because that I know that you were led you to film and then you went into direct, directing for a while as well. Right. So that, that was also doing film. So that was uh, for that five years, I was not just doing photos. I was doing the bondage modeling was not just photos. It was also video and included pink.com, um, which it had a lot of exposure. So people saw me on that and then they were like, wow, she's really tough. We want her for our site as well. And I kind of had a circuit of one month I'd be in Portland, one month I'd be in Seattle, one month I'd, I'd be in New York, one month I'd be in LA, not for the whole month, but like one week out of the, the month to make money and then come back to San Francisco. It's interesting. So we, at our last Consider This, our 2019 Consider This conference from Curious Fox, we had a panel discussion on the impact of porn and whether it is a menace to society or a form of art. And on the panel, we had Max Capacity and Alison Falk and Thomas Whitfield, and it was moderated by Aisha Hussein. And it was a really interesting and lively debate. And so I want to ask you that. What do you think about the impact of porn on society? I imagine that you get this question often around, is it art? Is it a menace? And I, and I wanted to explore your thoughts around that question. Yeah, 100%. So here's the thing, I, you know, I mean, I, th I think that people can work. It is absolutely a medium. Okay. So a medium, like you could work in painting, right. And you could paint something and I wouldn't necessarily think that it's art. It might just be commercial crap that you hang above like Ikea style, pretty flower. What's the concept behind it? Does it make me feel anything? Is it decor or is it art? And a lot of that has to do with the intention, how it's making um, the audience feel. Does it make you think in a different way? Does it shift who you are, how you feel or how you think? What is the context of it? And I think that, that porn absolutely has that ability as well, right? I mean, there's some porn that is made that is highly commercial and its intent is simply to titillate and sell, you know, like maybe that's just it, it, 
what their intent is. But it's, it's absolutely, for me, it's a way that we document our sexual culture. And it's really the only, one of the only mediums that we see our sexual culture being graphically depicted and documented. Um, and that's so important, especially for the queer community and the trans community and for communities that we don't always see in mainstream media. And, and even, I mean, and for showing authentic orgasms, you know, from folks of all genders. It's so important to be able to see that and to see how we communicate with each other. It's so many things. I mean, it's uh, a graphic modeling of how we uh, communicate, negotiation, communication, consent, all of those things are incorporated Um, So we're able to see that and feel empowered by that and then know, oh, it can be sexy to ask for more lube. Like that can be something because I saw Madison Young asking for more lube. So if she asks for more lube or a condom, then I can do that too. If we don't see that graphically modeled, then it can be more awkward in finding our own words in those moments to um, advocate for ourselves, I think. So it's very powerful that way. And it absolutely can be an art form. And, you know, there's two things that I heard you say, too. One is around porn as a tool for education. So if someone is watching that medium and saying, oh, I can ask for this, I can I can explore this. And part of what I heard you say that it's alongside that is this idea of representation, that I see someone who looks like me or I see someone who wants some of the things that I want. And we've talked about this on that panel discussion and, and offline as well around the distinction between fetishizing somebody and finding representation in somebody and, and seeing yourself on screen. And so I'm just interested in your thoughts on that as well, is whether or not with certain people or body types, are people being fetishized? Are they being represented? Is it a mix? Is it blurry? I'm just interested in what you're thinking. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's something in all the mediums that I work in that I that I'm really interested in because I feel like I have definitely myself also felt othered and fetishized, you know, I mean, and that's not only in porn, but also in the, in submission possible. That's what I'm really trying to do as well, because I feel like you see that in television so often too. It's not just in porn, but yes, the representation, I feel like it's, it's really about holding that space for that person to be authentically them. And then you're not going to be fetishizing them. You know, when, when you make it not about the customer and instead connecting with your performers and who they are as individuals and what their actual desires are and how they like to have sex and who they want to have sex with. And you hold space for who they are as an authentic, complex, sexual human being, then it makes it pretty easy to be a place for representation instead of fetishizing a person. Yeah, that's great. That's a that's a it's a really it's a really good way to make that distinction. I appreciate that. On on the same topic, I want to kind of expand this idea of porn and, and and talk a little bit about this idea of feminist porn and ethical porn. I know that th- that you that's something that you're passionate about. You you know identify as a feminist feminist porn producer. Can you tell me? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what 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 makes it porn feminist and why is that important? That that something like feminist porn exists? 
I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about a lot of the conversations that are happening in porn right now. And I'm getting teary a little bit, just even thinking about it because I feel like finally mainstream porn is kind of waking up and understanding that these feminist values that we have been fighting for and that we have been creating within feminist porn, they need to be in mainstream porn. There needs to not be a distinction, you know, and that we have shown that it, that it can be profitable and that it that people want to see these films and that the old way of, of making films is losing money for one, and people are sick of it, you know, like they're sick of that. It's, it's racist and transphobic and, um, is so problematic. You know, you find that in a lot of the, the mainstream porn within feminist porn, you know, I mean, I think some of the, the feminist ethos that you find within feminist porn are again, it being about the individual. Uh, so, so much about the process for me, it's not about the customer or who might be purchasing it um, and what those numbers look like and creating something formulaic, but instead it's about the individual. So I might, I might write, you know, I mean, I could write a script. Sometimes it starts off where I am writing a script, but then I find the right performers that I'm like, as I'm writing this, this really reminds me of Mona Wales. Let me talk to her and I want to see who she would really love to work with and how she feels about this character. And also knowing more about that person allows you to integrate who they actually are into the script. And then also knowing that you're not you're setting them up for success in whatever sex scene they might be doing as well. So what kind of sex does she really love? If, if she's really digs submissive sex, then um, putting her in a dominant position might not be a role that is going to be best for her, right? So knowing your performers, but sometimes it starts with the performers and, and knowing I really want to work with this person. Let me learn more about them. And then I can write a script from there based on the things I know about them. So it just takes way more into account the individual in some of those ways, you know, feminism is about choice, right? So it's the choice of who who do you want to work with? What are the things that make you hot? What are your boundaries? What's your preferred lube? Um, what are your food choices? All of these different elements so that you can create a container where they feel heard and supported and so that they can be authentic and vulnerable and intimate in that scene and, yeah, and feel held. It's really interesting to hear what you're saying here at Curious Fox we're all about challenging the status quo right that's kind of what what we've set out to do our mission is to challenge the status quo and love sex and relationships and and change the noise and when we talk about the noise it's kind of this um subconscious noise that surrounds us be it mainstream media or social media feeds our family structures all that kind of stuff and when I hear you talk about porn it's definitely bringing that out uh, bringing that out for me like it's it's what you're doing and the way that you're handling and you're talking about porn is is challenging the status quo, quo of it and sort of changing the way that it has been made in the past and sort of looking at how it can be made better um, with better ethics and and um, while taking care of everybody involved. So 
That's really exciting to hear. I'm interested in your shift from being a performer then into the space of activism and feminism. Like, What was the pull there? What got you from, okay, I'm a, pre- I'm a performer. I'm doing this for money. I enjoy it. I'm, but I'm, my focus is on, you know, my studio to kind of being through the experience and then shift towards, okay, now this is my, you know, podium of activism and feminism and, and I'm going to leave my mark through this medium. Can you tell me about that shift? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the first word that comes to mind is control freak. I, I, I like to control the narrative, you know, and I, I think that, yes, I, when I, I had my art gallery and I was working mostly, my art self existed in the, in the gallery as a curator and as a writer and performance artist. And then I had had my sex work and, and porn career that like helped subsidize that. But I mean, very early on into that, I saw the power in it. I I saw that it was a powerful medium. I I saw like, okay, there are changes that need to happen. And there are some beautiful things that are happening here. And I really love it when I get to tell my story. And largely at the time, I mean, this was, I directed my first film in 2005 and I started performing in 2002, like just kind of slow in 2002, I think with my first film and then 2003 kind of ramped up. So, you know, for just a, a, a couple of years there, I was, I was really focused on just delving so deep into kink and BDSM and, and experiencing that myself. And I was writing a lot about it, about the experiences. So then they, they would ask in the behind the scenes for me to talk about the experience. And most people would be like, oh, wow, that was really great. You know, and, and I'd go off on my internal experience as a submissive of how I'm processing this pain and how I'm integrating Tantra and, you know, what a whip feels like is it's slicing through my skin like butter, you know, and I'm talking about it and how empowering it is. And then people saw that and they started, they were like, you know what, there's no one at the kink conferences talking about masochism and rope from a bottoms perspective. It's all doms. Like we, we write this essay. Have you ever wrote, written an essay? Would you write this article? Would you speak here? So, I mean, it was, it was really just from like the behind the scenes that people saw how I was articulating myself surrounding feminism and submission and my identity that was developing at the time. You know, I mean, I feel like activism and art were there from the very beginning for me. It's just at first it was more with the art gallery was my main element of of activism through art as well as my performance art. You know, everything that I do has been an act of activism, but there wasn't really representation or any anyone who was really being vocal at the time about being feminist submissive. And I was like, I want to see that perspective within erotic film. Even the, really the, the queer films, there were like a few sex positive and feminist porn really wasn't a term being used very much at that time, but like sex positive porn was being used. Queer porn was just sort of starting to emerge. Shine hadn't even started to direct yet. She actually showed her paintings at my art gallery and was painting. So, you know, we were all, we all kind of 
started this feminist porn, queer porn revolution in San Francisco around the same time. And we were like, we want to tell our stories. And Madison, myself, I was the person who took it from a feminist submissives lens and kind of took that on because there were there were a few women that were dominants that were directing, but also no directors that were submissives. So I was like, I want to see the submissives point of view. Like I want stories coming from that perspective. So that's what I delivered. Yeah, I mean, that's so powerful. I, I, I've I, actually um, heard you at a panel talking about this before, and it was one of those things that stayed with me, which is, the, I think we were talking about reconciling um, being a strong feminist woman and being a submissive and how those th- those things can exist and how it kind of challenges society's understanding of, you know, submission, women, feminism, even women's understanding of women and feminism. And and I thought it was a really interesting cross-section of, of identities, sitting with them and being able to reconcile them and talking talking about that experience is super interesting and, and um, intriguing to me. And I imagine that that's true for many women who within, you know, the, the, the world of work or the home where they have to take on more of a, a leadership role that they would, we all want spaces where we can actually then have someone else lead and also feel still in that space that we are respected and that we do have autonomy and that there is consent and that all those things can live together. And so being one of those folks, I do appreciate <laughs> that you, you know, again, in the spirit of representation and, and to Effie, point earlier, I think what I'm hearing from what you're saying is this idea of changing the noise from porn being a place where women performed for someone else's pleasure in order to be sexy, to being a place where a woman enjoying and pleasing herself is sexy. Yes. And that's the shift that I am not performing for you. I am enjoying myself. And that in and of itself is sexy. Yeah. And it's political and it's radical. Yeah. So that I was going to ask you that. So in the spirit of kind of of political and radical porn, what can people do to be more ethical about their porn, their porn consumption and their porn choices? And are there folks out there that you should, yeah, pay for it. (laughs) Right. So number one, pay for it. And then, and then are there particular directors or production companies that you would recommend that people seek out? I'll add add another question there since you're going to get in that path. And how, how would you know that your porn is ethical? So how do I be a good porn a consumer? Like with any company, doing a little bit of, of research is good. Try to look at the, you know, I feel like most ethical porn companies are going to have a vision statement, a vision and a mission statement. Um, I know within my erotic film school, it's the very first thing that I have my students do is writing their vision and values, you know, because that's what you're going to keep coming back to. Uh, What is the impact you're wanting to have with the films that you're making? I'd also highly, I mean, the the site I recommend more than anything is Pink Label TV because Shine is freaking brilliant and I love her so, so much. And, you know, she's curated an incredible selection. My films are are on there as well, but it's a, a, a wonderful curation of ethical and feminist and queer porn that's extremely diverse. And she's started to also bring on films that are older and from archives, like, you know, for um, historical purposes. So I, I highly, highly recommend that as well as, I mean, if you, I know, 
OnlyFans is kind of a thing that's happening right now. Whenever you're able to support, if you really dig a performer, like supporting them directly and buying directly from them is a great thing. You know, I mean, the way the the current system is is set up is, you know, performers are are paid once at production for their work, but um, not after that. So it's excellent when you're able to buy directly from the performer, or if, if they're promoting a certain film, then they likely have like an affiliate link for it so that they can get like a kickback as well. So support your performers as directly as possible. I'd say those are a couple key aspects to to look at. And if you're just interested in studios, you know, I mean, Pink Label just has such a great curation of studios. And if you're like, oh, I want to check out that studio even further, you can go to their their direct website. But yeah, so they're they're a great spot to go to. Nice. Um, So I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about your book, your first book, Daddy, which is a memoir came out in 19, uh, 20, 2014, I believe, right? Sounds right. And then you read from it, actually, at our, for Consider This at 2018, and it was an intimate glimpse into your relationship. It is an intimate glimpse into your relationship and your sexual dynamics with your partner, James Mogul, who's also a, an adult film actor and a director and a BDSM educator and a photographer and uh, an, an overall interesting person. Um, tell us about that book. What was what was the impetus in writing it? So, yeah, Daddy was my, my first first book baby. And I had been working on a memoir for a while. And oh boy, that was, it was such a journey in writing that first memoir. You know, at at first I I really, it, it, in fact, I, I called it the tale of a bondage model. And it was much more about my travels around the, the world and these wacky, weird and fantastic fetishes and kinks. I mean, it's kind of a career that I don't feel like fully exists anymore of the traveling bondage model. <laughs> because at a certain point during my career, it became legal and okay for people to be having sex and bondage. And so the porn and bondage world, I mean, they were always somewhat intermingled, but it was kind of a different career of like, I get tied up for money or I have sex for money. Like, you know, but usually you don't, you couldn't get tied up and have sex and filmed for money. So the the tale of a bondage model, I wrote that first and then I, I kind of shopped that around a little bit and I finished writing the memoir and I took it to Rare Bird, which is my publisher. And I went in for a meeting and he was like, this is great, but this is several different books and it's too vast. And what I'm really interested in here is this one chapter that starts to delve really deeply into your relationship with your daddy and also your relationship with your biological father and how he left your mother for a sex worker and then you became a sex worker. He was like, that's the really juicy story that I want to see. And I was like, that is a really hard story. (laughs) Talk about vulnerable, talk about intimate, talk about like close to the bone. Yeah, Yeah, They're just like, please reveal your soul, all of your insights, please, for us, Madison. (laughs) 
Right. Well, you know, that's kind of the job of a writer or artist. (laughs) And so I had very fluffy, fun things that was going on without so many of the like really, really intense, intimate things. And he was like, this little painful part right here, can you just make that an entire book? And I was like, oh, okay. All right. I'll rewrite the entire book. So my kiddo was only one year old when I got the book deal. And it was, it was a really interesting time because James, my husband and I, we had moved to San Bernardino and we were new parents and he was just becoming sober. So he was like in his first year of sobriety and in that journey. And while I was writing the book, I didn't even know how it was going to end because we were at a very, very fragile state. And I was like, I'm not sure if he's good, if daddy's going to (laughs) be at the end of the book. Like, how does this end? It was a a really tender and hard thing, but it was also a complete lifesaver writing the book. You know, in many ways, it was really, really difficult because I dove into his addiction and alcoholism and and what it was like to be his partner during that time and to have someone that is like your hero that's your daddy the person that you look up to that's your elder and then see how flawed he is and that's the big core aspect of this book is that we're all flawed and we can have these roles that we put on as little and daddy and submissive and dominant. But at the end of the day, we're all human and we all have wounds and hurts that need to heal and we all need to be held. And so it really examines that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a powerful, it's a powerful book for sure. And again, it's one of those, it challenges the status quo and and, and it's so intimate and so open. I think is is the case across all your work, actually. Same with the work, the one woman show you did, Reveal All, Fear Nothing. It's also incredibly open and intimate. And I think also the current project that you're working on, right? Yeah, it's interesting. It sounds, you referenced your time of the traveling bondage model, and it sounds like you have gone back to those roots in your latest project, right? So you have Mission Possible, which is a new docu-series on the LGBTQ plus virtual cable TV network Reverie and explores the queer sexual underground world of kink and fetish and BDSM from around the world. And so back to traveling, <laughs> back to exploring, back to kink. Back to traveling, you know, well, as, uh, as soon as it's safe, it's an interesting time to have a, a travel docu-series in the time of Corona. But yes, we're, we're making it work. But yes, I'm, I'm very excited. And yeah, I've, I've, I've always loved travel. And I've part of my job that I really, really love is getting to connect with other badasses around the world and talking to inspiring people and meeting kink community and queer community in different cities around the world. And you know, seeing what folks do differently and, you know, and what are our connections and just bringing everyone to the kitchen table to share our experiences together. With this show, I really, you know, I've I've been featured in quite a few docu-television shows and often I feel very othered. Like, I feel like a lot of the shows are kind of like someone from the, the outside world and then 
kind of bringing someone in and, and like, oh, that's kind of weird that you're an ecosexual. What's that like? You know, instead of, instead of being like, wow, that's really cool. Can you tell me more about that? I, I love plants too. Like, what do we have in common? How can we explore this together? Again, seeing someone as an authentic and whole person rather than like, how can I sensationalize this experience? And I don't want to sensationalize any of these things. I, I want to just open it up for people to look at in a holistic way. Yeah, no, that that resonates with me. One of the things that we talk a lot about here is also the idea of not making a safari out of it. That's kind of what I call it. That it's not something that you sort of watch and point and sort of go, oh, it's interesting. But like, can we can we create immersive experiences where people aren't on safari, but they're like in it and experiencing it? So I think that's that's what that what that's what comes up for me when you describe that. Exactly. Yeah, so tell us about some of the cities that you have traveled to, because I know the first episode is New Orleans, which I, I mean, I want to hear more about that because I know it must have been just amazing in terms of seeping yourself in the culture and the history and understanding kind of how the, the kink world intertwines with the city itself. But I, and so I want to hear about New Orleans and then I want to hear about some of the other cities that you visited. I mean, the interesting thing is, so I, I started conversation with Reverie like in January and then in March, just as we were entering quarantine, the project got signed on. And so they wanted to get the, the pilot and first episode out there. And so we'll be moving into the other cities as soon as it's safe. So unfortunately, we only have the one city currently under our belt. However, next month, we're going to be uh, focusing on the idea is in July, if all goes well, to start up small production on an episode called Quarantine. And so focusing on how the kink and queer community has adapted to quarantine and what that looks like. So that's going to be a city of its own and will be kind of fun to be able to connect with people all over the world and, and how they're adapting. New Orleans, it was my first time going to New Orleans. And so the entire experience was very new and wonderful. I I was down at Hacienda Maison and I was leading the erotic filmmakers retreat that I that I do. And so I was uh, producing and overseeing and um, helping to guide other directors through their experience. I help them with casting and with script writing and putting the entire production together. And I had one free day while I was down there and I'm a Virgo and don't do well with free days. So I said, why don't I go ahead and, and shoot my pilot while I have a free day. So we shot the entire episode in a single 18 hour production day. I wrote it on Easter Sunday while everyone else was having an Easter parade. I was writing the script and, and finding my cast. And then I did a few pickup shots with a half a day of production in, in Portland when I got back. 
Wow. What a marathon. I can only imagine. I mean, I, I, I spent a lot of time in New Orleans. I, I went through a period where I was going down there every six weeks or so, spending a week. I feel like I have a lot of friends and community down there. And I, I happen to know the sort of the underbelly and the sort of the local community, very, very strong, very diverse kink scene that is, you know, embedded into the the fiber of of that city and i've been very fortunate enough to sort of get to know these people and and i'd call them my friends i know the intensity of that scene and for you to kind of film something in this marathon you know a single day and going through all the different experiences and meeting all the people i can only imagine how intense that was it was intense but you know i mean i've also directed over 60 erotic films and Sometimes I'm given a very small budget and the only way to actually make it a reality is doing one really long marathon day. So it wasn't the first time that I've had a long production day or worked with very minimal resources. I think that my history of making erotic films for all these years has been an incredible learning ground obviously. And it, it wasn't that different except for, you know, except for there weren't the sex scenes. So it was a little different that different, way, yeah. but no graphic sex. That was, that was something. So yeah, things move even faster. It's amazing how fast things can move if there's no actual sex. What are some of the cities that are on the wish list? I'm interested in, in where you, you're hoping to be able to travel to. Yeah, I'm kind of reviewing all of that right now. Like I'm thinking that the first season that we're going to need to shift it to being West Coast and probably all places that are road tripable from Portland. I'm examining that right now because we had all 10 episodes blocked out of what cities we we thought we'd be going to, but um, I think air travel is going to minimize that and who knows how kind of I think we're we're all playing it by ear right now as far as production and slowly like what is safe, what isn't safe, like how can we tell these stories in a different way. But my I do know that I I'd love to go to to Tokyo. I really want to go to Japan. I'd love to go to London, which I haven't been to in a very long time, but their scene is incredible. I remember going to Torture Garden a million years ago and having an incredible time there. I feel like that would be an amazing city to shoot. Definitely Berlin. Berlin has an incredible, vibrant kink scene. Also that has its own very distinct personality that I'd love to shoot. I'd, I'd love to shoot some of the, the South and the Midwest when it's safe. Because, you know, I grew up in Ohio and I feel like it would be really nice to not just shoot um, major cities, but also a lot of like what happens in the cornfields. Like, where are these these queer and kink communities? And I think that'll be interesting finding those communities that feel comfortable in being out. Because I know that as someone who did grow up there, that that it can feel that I definitely felt scared in being out so I think that there's there's different degrees of, of that, of comfortability. So yeah, those are a, a few of the places that I'm interested in exploring. Where do you think I should explore? 
I was actually, it's funny, I, Tokyo definitely popped in my mind. I was there over the holidays, last holidays, for a really brief, like, very, I was, it was like a long, long, long way over. Ran around Tokyo for like 24 hours, didn't sleep, just ran around. And I can, you know, there is a lot to explore there. So I, I second that notion. And just for my own curiosity and interest, I love what you're saying about going to the less, less explore parts of the US. I yeah. think first and, for, first and foremost thing, we don't know, like you said, just nobody nobody knows we just think that south has no you know is, is we think that um, south is asexual yeah definitely. <laughs> um and prudish but of course there are communities and i'd be really interested in personally just like see what what happens in the nooks and crannies of the midwest and the south for sure i'm curious what would what would be your uh, having done the pilot and having done it in a city like new orleans what was your sort of your your aha moment what if, if there if any what was your aha moment what was what was that was something new to you and that's interesting because you're being submerged in this world for a long time so i'm in, i'm interested if there was like a discovery for you or an aha moment for you um also what can people who what can the audience expect what can they what's awaiting them in the show so, I mean, I, I, I think that it really does have this, this kind of Anthony Bourdain of sex kind of experience because it, it really is delving into the communities and cultures of the different cities. And in New Orleans, like my eyes were just so wide open. I mean, it is such a remarkable city. Its personality is so incredibly unique and hauntingly sexy. I heard that, so, you know, each city has like an astrological chart and it's totally a Scorpio. And I guess like one of the only other Scorpios is also San Francisco. They're both like Scorpios, but I definitely feel like there's Scorpio energy like going on in New Orleans because it's like mysterious, but soulful and sexy. And like everyone was very off like super authentic and generous with their hearts and their time and slow. Like, I, I mean, I mentioned like an 18 hour production day, but we were not moving fast. You know, like I had to <laughs> kind of, <laughs> it takes me a minute to kind of slow my pace, but you know, everyone is just like, what's going to happen? Let's take a break for lunch. You know, let's, you know, like, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'll lean into this. I'm going to lean into this. And it's just hard hard to not not do that because of like the way people are being, you know, with their body, with their voice. Like it's slow and seductive and and soulful. It's just like and the veil of I've never experienced that much like haunting energy. I definitely have had encounters with spirits before, but not on such a consistent level as in New Orleans. And it seems like everyone there is just like, yeah, there's the living and there's, you know, the dead and there's this like really thin veil and they're here and we're here. And, you know, it's like, we don't bother each other. You know? <laughs> um, production was interrupted a couple of times by a few spirits. And then like Ashton got up with the sage and kind of shooed them shoot them out of the way and and then the light stopped flickering and we continued on and it was just a really interesting experience so i guess one of the the aha moments for me was surrounding talking about spectrophilia and how folks felt about spirits not being able to abide by consent 
the consent issues with uh, spectrophilia or um, spirits. So inviting spirits into your sexual experience and then spirits not, not always abiding by safe words. So I was like, wow, that's not something that I really thought about. Like they were, you know, some people were like, they're tricksters. They don't always listen. You don't know exactly if the spirit that you're talking to is going to you know, listen to you and respect your boundaries. Fascinating. Yeah. And then the herbal aphrodisiac as well. Um, I don't really smoke uh, anything. And there were some awkward moments of me trying to roll the beautiful herbs. Luckily, Gypsy helped me out there because I had never rolled anything in my life. And I'm like rolling it like a burrito and it's not going well. But it was it was beautiful. The the ritual of the smoking and and leaning into that and then just the the warm, buzzing, floaty euphoria of of smoking the, the herbs that she had so thoughtfully and intentionally put together was a lovely, lovely experience and, and totally aha for me. Wow, I can. Uh, I mean, I as I said, I've been to New Orleans many, many times, but I'm really looking for. I don't think I've seen. I've seen this particular angle, or or, or at least I've experienced it. But now I'm looking forward to sort of seeing it um, presented and seeing it through your eyes. So it's 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 really interesting for me. I'm I'm I can't wait to see it. And it is available, right? You can find submission possible on every TV using iOS, TVOS, Android, Fire TV, Roku, or Samsung. It's out there. The pilot's out there. I re- recommend people check it out. And to learn more about Madison, you can visit her website at madisonyoung.org. That's madisonyoung.org. And you can follow her on Instagram at therealmadisonyoung. That's at therealmadisonyoung. Uh, while you're on that, you can also find and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at We Are Curious Foxes. That's at We Are Curious Foxes. And if you are interested in supporting us and you go to Patreon, then you can choose to be a patron of ours. And depending on the tier that you sign up for, you will get access to all of our previous events, our video recordings, both our virtual ones and our in-person ones. You get free tickets to future events. You get to submit questions to Effie's monthly Ask Me Anythings. You get guest tickets and so much more. So we encourage you to support the community and support our work. If you enjoy the podcast, then we would love for you to like and review and share this podcast. It really makes a difference. Our goal is to change the noise. And so if you can rate, review, and share, it helps us be able to spread the message and continue to change the noise. If you have questions that you'd like us to explore on the show, then there's a few different ways that you can get us that information. We have an email. You can email us at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com, or you can submit a question or a story via voicemail, and we can play your question on air and then we can talk about it together and so the the number to call in is 201-870-0063 that's all the ways you can get in touch with us and before we go i want to say a huge thank you to madison thank you for coming thank you for being on on this episode thank you for telling us about your really exciting project that we can't wait to see thank you so much thanks for having me you're you're very well welcome and until next time friends stay Stay curious. curious Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. 
Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.